Good morning. This is Jim Colburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm here with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group. And we're here to talk about energy markets. To learn more about us, you can check out our website, commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our podcasts and blog. We'd like to thank our friends at EKT Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. Check out their newsletters, podcasts, and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any particular trading system, strategy, or recommendation. You're not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. Today is October 19th. And Andy, I, I think I'd like to start off by reading uh, a little one sentence from last week's EIA's release of their uh, monthly oil outlook, their short-term energy outlook. And it goes like this, and then um, I want to hear you make hear your commentary. Potential petroleum so supply disruptions and slower-than-expected crude oil production growth could lead to higher prices while the possibility of slower than forecast economic growth may contribute to lower prices. What Jim, that, that, that's a classic. And <laughs> I think it's a classic that you and I have used often in our long and uh, somewhat illustrious careers when asked for advice. It could go up or it could go down. Uh, you know what? Uh, maybe it's, maybe as, as one of our partners said, maybe maybe the EIA has, has finally capitulated. <laughs> <laughs> after a couple of years of rough going. Right, after a couple of years, seeing the markets go to, uh, you know, to negative and then uh, 120, 130. Well, They've, uh, you know they've come, they've come down to the the very simple realization of how to forecast price. Well, they 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 did fail to include one other other possibility that the uh, price remains the same. So that's not that that's true. You know, right. I think in, in these the naive forecast seen, that's a that's a that's a tail risk, I guess these days. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That's a good point. It's, it's a yep, unchanged. Anyway, Andy, let's uh, let's get into this. Um, I think uh, what's what's standing out in the news and so much commentary on is this um, price cap uh, for Russian oil. Can can you just give us a background on where we where Russian oil supplies stand now? Talk a little bit about the uh, price cap idea. That's uh, expected to um, take place soon and um, where you see Russian oil supplies going forward? Well, the, um, that, that's, that's a lot to, to, <laughs> uh, that's, that's a lot to present, but well, uh, you know, I'll give, I'll give it a shot. I think one, you know, one, one thing that you could look at it, and this kind of um, supports what the EIA said is uh, not only expectations of future 
Russian production, but even, even current Russian production, the numbers from the EIA, OPEC, and the IEA are, are all over the place, not surprisingly. And, you know, look, looking at where we think Russian production is right now, before the invasion, it was, uh, including condensates, was probably around 11.3 million barrels a day, which most of the agencies agree on. We think right now it's down probably six or 700,000 barrels a day to uh, 10.6 million barrels a day of, uh, of production. Going forward, and, the, and, the, and herein lies, you know, the, the different views of, uh, you know, of, of the market. OPEC, the OPEC agency, has Russian production in um, October uh, going down to, or at, at 10.2. And then in the first quarter of next year, they have 10.1 and then right around 10.2 for the, for the rest of the year. The EIA has Russian production going down to uh, 9.3. So, you know, there, right there, there's an 800,000 barrel a day difference. We think it's going to be around 9.7 as a guess, which would be down around, you know, one and a half million barrels a day, let's say pre, uh, pre-invasion. But, you know, as you, as th- this, to say the least, there's a high degree of variability around uh, where, where Russian production may end up in 2023, you know, as we head into the fourth quarter and uh, into, uh, into 2023. You know, we do, we do believe it's, it's certainly going, it's going to go lower as the embargo starts on uh, December 5th and this price cap uh, idea posed by the uh, EU you know, also looks like it's going to begin on uh, on December fifth, maybe. You know that, that we're still waiting for the details on the uh, on the Russian price cap uh, from from the EU. You know, some of the numbers floating around are uh, you know capped the R- Russian crude capped at fifty dollars, which to me is is you know really low. The market itself is um 25 under where uh where brent is so you know the market the market itself is is a good 10 or 15 dollars you know above what the what the uh eu is talking about uh and the us of course is involved in that uh in the in the price cap discussion and the russians have said that under the price cap you know that what they're going to do is just simply not sell you know, not sell crude and back into back into production. The U.S. thinks that that might be a bluff uh, because once production, once Russian production is um, back, then you know it, it's difficult to restart some of these older fields. So right. it, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see. You know, obviously interesting. It'd be critical to see where you know where these numbers end up. You know, where they end up falling out and and exactly uh exactly what happens you know again you know we're, we're pretty good at uh barrel counting um and uh, you know i i what i think uh in terms of exports that are going to be affected uh out of russia 
you know, I think it's going to be somewhere between 1.2 to 1.3 million barrels a day, taking into account that, you know, some from pipeline, uh, from the friendship pipeline, as well as seaborne exports to Europe, as well as possibly Asia. And, you know, it'll be interesting, again, it'll be critical to see whether Russia is going to be able to read, you know, replace those those exports you know as well as is europe going to be able to replace uh russian exports because they're still you know they've cut down uh on where they were pre-invasion but they're still you know 50 percent of where they had been yeah it's interesting um you you want to punish you want a policy that punishes russia and and one one way to do that is to not have the world buy their oil but you also punish yourself by jacking up oil prices. And, you know, when I when I listened to um, that uh, deputy uh, Treasury Secretary uh, Wally, uh, his last name, uh, talk about the the the, uh, the plan, it's to keep oil flowing and keep oil prices down so you don't hurt the, the world economy with with higher prices. And we think about when OPEC and oil producers come under stress, obviously, it's when uh, prices are lower, not when they're higher. So any any policy that keeps you, you kind of in a, in a weird way, you want you want Russian oil to be flowing. I mean, you want it, people buying it, so you 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 know you just you just would like them to get at a big discount. As you mentioned, the discounts already uh, twenty four dollars under Brent, but if Brent goes up ten, fifteen, twenty dollars. $24 below that is still a good number. So they want to get a, an absolute number out there. And the way I understand it is they don't really expect Russia to sell oil at that price, but they do would expect buyers of Russian oil to negotiate from that price. So they may pay a little bit more than that. But, um, you know, as all of these well-intended schemes they they get jobbed they get they get gamed and and there's unintended consequences and you can you can see sort of i don't know maybe a little crack already where you know opec uh is talking about um you know maybe maybe the us is in in europe are are creating a buyers cartel and uh you know maybe maybe this plan is not just to target russia but eventually you know the saudis because we're not we obviously not getting along with our old time friends uh, like we used to. So it'll be interesting to see, and certainly puts a lot of uncertainty. And I, I think you're right about you. You, you know, the ba basic thing is you want the trade patterns to adjust. So Europe buys from someone else, and Russia sells to someone else. But do, are there are there enough buyer uh, buyers like can can India and China take more Russian oil? Well, they probably. They probably could. I think in China's case, it's a question of uh, whether or not they would. You know, China's always preached the diversity of supply, and you know whether whether or not they want to keep Russia moving up their you know their supplier charts, um, <laughs> moving up the tables. Yeah. Um, you know that that'll that obviously is go going to be you know part of part of policy i mean they could they could theoretically take take more uh either at the expense of of 
somebody else or as a, from another supplier or put it into uh, put it into storage and and they have been building you know more strategic storage so far over the last you know four or five years but you know that 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 remains you see the other thing is there's no um you know it would have to go uh the voyage it, it you know it would, it would be seaborne the pipeline can't take any more barrels you know the russian chinese pipelines can't can't really there's no there's no capacity to take more so you know i wonder, I wonder what the name of that pipeline is if 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 the one going into europe is the friendship pipeline i don't wonder what that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does have a name i can't it's yeah. it's not coming up to mind, you know and that is supposed to be expanded but right now it doesn't look that way i mean right now it it, it isn't India is interesting in that, you know, there've been stories that Indian refiners want to take more Russian and stories that uh, Indian refiners are, are going to take less Russian. You know, for India, the big, you know, the, 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 the prize is for the refiners to produce more gas oil and middle distillates, which are, um, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere and particularly in the Atlantic Basin, distillates are uh, diesels short, really, a, a very short. So, you know, if you could if you could get more Urals and you know produce more diesel, that's you know that's tremendous. So, you know, if I if I was an Indian refiner, I would you know want all the Urals I could possibly get. Uh, but you know that that to a certain extent is also going to be a government decision. So, um, you know, it, it isn't as though all of a sudden, you know, Russia is going to be able to take those million barrels a day and uh, move them to China or uh, India, which is why I suspect um, that their production is, is going to have to decrease. Yeah, it's it's also it's interesting to me that I know these numbers, it's a market economy, but, you know, if, if uh, China and uh, Russia are sort of allies best best friends forever whatever you want to call them they're they're buying their oil at a very deep discount so how, how does that conversation go i mean it's india too it's like yeah we'll we'll buy your oil but but not at a normal normal discount we want a deep discount I and mean, i'm just trying to figure out how that number gets set is it well i guess know? they'll have the they'll have the fixed price to negotiate against yeah and you know it's whether or not the russian government decides to sell it at that price you know or right. just walks and say you know and says look that's that's based on a fixed price and we're not gonna you know you'll have to pay up i guess it'll be a negotiation or not so i think uh i'm really I wish we had another way of saying winter is coming. I see it everywhere. I say it's not. It's not funny. It's not clever anymore. It's, it's like a cliche. But um, uh, where is it showing up in the market, Andy? That that there is a after December fifth, you know, a million barrels might be off the market. I mean, I it, it, it's a perfect uh, buy option, buy call strategy, or maybe you 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 buy futures ahead of time. I, I, it, is it already in the just don't 
I'm not sitting on a desk, so I don't see the paper flow all the time, but I just don't, I follow it. I don't see the, like the, the constant, I don't see the fear out there of this happening. Although implied vols are hanging around 50. So that's kind of a high number, but I don't, I don't see the trades coming through that would suggest we have a serious problem ahead with some barrels possibly being taken off the marketplace or another disruption in the flow. What, what, what do you say to that? Well, I think there's also the countervailing flow of, uh, you know, the recession play, right? The, the, you know, some of the, the macro hedge funds that are, you know, that have been selling, selling crude as a proxy. I mean, maybe they covered over the last, uh, as a proxy for a, for a poor economy, so so maybe that's one of the reasons why, you know, the, there's maybe less stress in the market. But there is stress in the market. You know, all you have to do is look at the diesel market. Uh, good point. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, the yes. diesel market here. You know, this week in New York Harbor, or you know, end of last week, this week, it's it's trading seventy five cents over the the screen, mm-hmm. and you know, there, there's. Basically, there's a shortage in New England and Central Atlantic states. I mean, we are uh, running about 50% of normal. Uh, Central Atlantic had a couple of builds here, but it's it's way too low for this time of year. In fact, you know, looking at the up, looking at the build, you know, we we should be building inventories this year. Uh, we should be building inventory seasonally through, you know, September and into into October, and we're just not. Uh, in fact, if you if you looked at Central Atlantic and New England states, I don't think it's been this low since 1951. So, you know, the, the, it's like a historical low on in inventory. Uh, so we're seeing that in the cash market, Europe too. Uh, is stressed as uh, is stressed as well because Russian diesel is about to you know by February there'll be no Russian diesel go which is a big uh, Russian gas oil and diesel Russia was a big supplier to Europe for for diesel so you know Europe Europe too is really tight and then there's you know you probably have some fuel switching I don't think it's going to be diesel though for natural gas um, you know I think that would be like the last petroleum but it, it depends on, you know, it depends on your plant. Right. So I, I think that's, you know, the stress is there. The market is backwardated, right? It's not crazy backwardated, but it's still, you know, actually Europe is, is well, you know, well over $1.50 backwardated, less so here in the U.S. So, um, you know, I think that's where, and the cracks, Jim, oh my God. <laughs> the nearby, the nearby, Diesel crack traded like eighty-five dollars, mm. uh, and gasoline too. The cracks are are pretty. You know, the the cracks are really healthy. So you know, refinery margins are are good. Refiners haven't been. You know, we're, we're still in maintenance season. So um, it, it, at least here, uh, margins in Europe are good. Here they're good. In Asia they're not. So one would expect that you know from China and India will be getting. You know there is spare refinery capacity, so we should be getting exports to to help with the problem. But you know it's a big problem, and that hopefully it's not a not a cold winter. 
Yeah, I know. That's that's what we're uh, hoping and praying for. It's it's interesting. Um, I last year I had a problem with um, Ida put put some water in our basement, destroyed our uh, oil burner, so we had to get it replaced. And the next progression would be to put you know natural gas in there. And there's a moratorium in New York on on that. You can't you can't put natural gas burners in your house until I think next year or something. So we ended up getting a heat pump. And it's amazing how much lower my heating bill was last year. But this year, it's going to catch up because the electricity prices are going up as well. Won't won't be as high as heating oil. But yeah, it's, I mean, there's, in our area, it's a, there's a lot of natural gas. Still in the northern areas, a lot of heating oil is still used for heat. And, you know, we have, we restricted natural gas pipelines here. So anytime there's a cold snap, the price of gas soars, as as you would expect. And and uh, everybody goes crazy. Anyway, let's, um, I, I just want to talk about the, you know, we're, talk, we're talking about uncertainty and supply, uncertainty and demand. And, and one, one area where it's showing up is in option volatility. We, we can't seem to keep... Uh, get vols down to more average levels in the 30s. It's been staying uh, up in the 40s and and hovering around uh, 50%. So, you know, clearly there's something going on and you just mentioned a whole bunch of things. Um, but what what's interesting, the what's dominating the option flow are these uh, $1 wide strikes uh, call spreads. So um, to give you an example, um, I looked at the, uh, open interest numbers in in oil uh, WTI options, and in February of uh, 2023, the 119 and 120 calls have about 75,000 open open interest, and that's that's a huge number. Uh, the June 120 121 calls has 75,000, and um, it was yesterday a one dollar wide call spread traded 114 115 25,000 times and these things are uh settling around uh 3 4 5 you know 7 cents around around that level so this has been going on through this crisis and even even a little before and it, it these seem to be you know not talking to the person who put the trade on i don't i don't know for sure but talking to other people they seem there seems to be a consensus that these are hedges against uh, digital op- options and digital option would be um if if a uh, a price if if the price is up around at at a certain price when at expiration you you get a cash payment you don't get a you don't exercise into futures contracts and eventually uh, get barrels if you want you you get um uh, a cash payment and and that's that's how it's settled and these $1 wide strike prices would be hedges uh, dealers uh, hedging against um, uh, hedging the other side of those. So, yeah. So maybe that's what's going on uh, with with these crazy markets, Andy. The the basic textbook hedge of uh, you know I have production uh, in the future that I want to hedge. I'm going to sell futures because that price makes sense to me. You have to be careful how much you hedge out there, even if you love the price, because of the cash flow implications. You have you have a mis mis mismatched cash flow if prices go up sharply today you got to come up with margin money and so you you the, the best strategy around that is to buy puts obviously but if you do have hedges out there maybe maybe it uh 
you know, is making sense to do some kind of call protection on the upside. Not not sure. I'm not sure who it's probably a hedge fund doing this stuff, but um it could be somebody uh hedging against uh higher oil prices as well. I just think uh a better there are better ways to do it than digital options, but that's just uh my opinion. And then uh the other thing I'd say um our old friend the uh DS twenty two hundred dollar call that we were following for a couple of years now. It was uh, the number one open interest option for a while uh, with above 60,000 open. It's now moved down to eighth place. It's uh, 41,000 left, and obviously it's going to go off the board in a month. So, um, yeah. What else? Yeah, that's about it. I don't know. So, so that's, that's the only sort of, if you take those op, if you take those trades out of there, that option volume has been uh, not, not too impressive. Having, having trouble getting over 100,000 a day. That's in that's in WTI. So anyway, well, that may be you know that may be part and parcel of of the slowdown in trading period. Right? Yeah, the, the lower open interest, lower volumes. Um, I think volumes are coming up a bit, you know, um, but they're certainly not not where they were pre, you know, pre invasion, and probably nowhere near where they were pre COVID. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, this is happening across all markets where, you know, it's get, it, it's harder and harder to predict. I mean, just look at the Fed, how how poorly they, I mean, these people have the best information, smartest minds, and how poorly they do forecasting what's going to happen. And they're making policy off of that. You know, I think, you know, you, you know, I've been banging the drum about, you know, considering the standard deviation issue, you know, if, um, you know, if you tell me that, um, your uh, you can supply hydropower to me over the next 20 years and and climate change is going to actually increase that hydropower so i can i can rely on that i want to know what's the standard deviation how many of those years are your your river is going to be dry because that's that's what's important and we even in price projections we we do it and i, I think you do a great job of of cautioning people with saying you know anything can happen you've done that for years because you, you know these are crazy commodity markets and you know the crazy people that trade them but um we we really need it's not just uh picking up a, a price and saying this is six months we expect the price to be here what's the price path that it gets there i mean we, we've seen bullish views ahead of uh i think we had a 20 20 drop uh when when china went back into lockdown and People still remain bullish, which which is fine. But it, if you're if you're trading these markets, you know, you're you're long gone from that bullish view. Otherwise, you're not you won't have a job. You know, and so it's a it's 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 totally different putting a price out there and being able to hang with that with that view than in the real world when you're trying to either trade or you know make make uh, hedging decisions or even policy based on you know a view that may be right in the long term but in the meantime it takes this major move in the opposite direction so yeah yeah you can't you can't sustain your you can't sustain your view or your your trade you know you were you were talking about the margin money that you might have to put up on a mismatched trade and yeah. you know i think certainly the european Natural gas companies learned 
you know, learned that. And uh, recently, the uh, pension, some of the pension funds in uh, in the UK certainly learned that that uh, you know it could be very costly to put some of these uh, to put some of these hedges on, particularly when you know the markets do go into the you know go into a tail risk type type move. Yeah, I I don't want to pick on anybody in particular, but I uh, this paper came across my uh, email, and it's it's uh, something about a world equilibrium model of the oil market, and I and you go you know you said what? <laughs> How long have we been following this market? Would you ever say it was in equilibrium? And <laughs> maybe for a couple of months, but not not too long. And, yeah, I mean it's right. I mean, the market could trade sideways for a while, and yeah, it does. It does, it actually does get into equilibrium, Jim. I think you know there have been periods during the last thirty or forty years where it has been, you know, been boring. I mean, it has been equal. It has sort of been. It seemed that way. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, but then it invariably will break out, and uh, you know, one way or the other. Yeah. Well, this. I mean, the paper was written in 2017, and then it was revised in in 2021. I think they kept the same title after you know oil prices went negative. I said, okay, all right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, um, I did want here. to talk. I mean, we talked about Russia, you know, perhaps losing you know over a million barrels a day, or the market losing over a million barrels a day from from Russia, and then we have our friends at. Uh, in OPEC, who, along with the Russians at that last meeting, somehow decided they thought it would be a good idea to reduce their production into, um, you know, into December and then, you know, into into next year by what they said was two million, but in reality is is probably going to be under under a million barrels a day. So we are we're so we are going to lose production from uh, Saudi, the UAE. Kuwait some Iraq is Iraq is sort of balking so I'm not I'm not sure how much is going to is going to come out of uh, Iraq so you know we're working with about 800 to a million barrels a day uh, on an OPEC reduction it, it could be less than that Jim but certainly from a political standpoint uh that the that didn't endear that move didn't endear the Saudis to the to the US administration and indeed President Biden just released another half million barrels a day, basically in in December, uh, which I think, you know, has, has will will serve to make up some of the some of the losses, and we'll see what happens. In, in first quarter, uh, the SPR is due to release virtually nothing, uh, but he 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 said that they may they may continue to release into the into the first quarter so um you know I, I i think taking into account the the production loss you know the the production losses and we're, we're talking about you know a lot of uncertainty around around the, around the numbers as i mentioned you, you also you know we're also trying to figure out whether demand you know <laughs> You know where where we going on the demand side, and uh, certainly there've been some benchmark revisions on on demand. And, um, the IEA and the EIA both went down like half a million barrels a day for uh, next year, and then 
fourth quarter they they've uh revised demand downward because of um you know because of economic economic concerns you know we we still even with these losses in uh on, on production we still show in in fourth quarter because you had such there was a huge i mean opec was really producing in uh, september they, they were you know they were close to 30 million barrels a day i mean they were really cranking it out so September and October are going to be pretty high, and November too. Uh, then the December will will reduce. But in, in any event, taking taking it all, you know, putting it all together, yes, um, we we still are showing a, a slight surplus for fourth quarter. But most of that again is is because of the October, you know, the October numbers, and as well as you know, we're still getting we're still getting a pretty good dose of uh, of SPR. Uh, SPR barrels, and you know we're, we've marked down Chinese demand a little bit more, and uh, U.S. demand, as we've been mentioning on these podcasts. You know, it, it's uh, it, it's not like booming. You know, I, I I have a hard time getting up with coming up with the adjective. Right. I mean, to me, relative to expectations, it's pretty disappointing. We're you know right uh, um, even from mid year. You know, I think it's pretty disappointing. So, you know, it, it's going to be overall. It's going to be down year year over year. In no, it'll it'll still be it'll it'll still be up. Gasoline is probably going to be, I don't know, unchanged. This little unchanged. I mean, uh, maybe a little higher on on both. I mean, um, distillate had a and jet has you know jet has grown this year. Jet's up, yeah. Uh, diesel has been the winter was. I mean, diesel did okay in the in last winter gasoline i think is going to end up being unchanged the, the last year but it's really fallen off the table since july and that has to be a price effect you know gasoline demand has been really disappointing since july mm -hmm. what so, so you have stocks continuing to build throughout this year what about next year next year looks looks balanced I mean, really balanced. I mean, we have we have slight surpluses every quarter, but it could easily be deficits, Jim. Right. Um, you know, depend. It, it could be deficits. So, it, it, to me, you know that that is. I'd have to say that's probably more bullish than than bearish. Um, I'm not sure where, you know, like all the supply is going to come from. If if we actually need it, uh, U.S. production has been disappointing this year. Next year it should grow, um, and there should be, you know, you look at the EIA. I'm going to tell you something, Jim. Yeah, that you will. I I know what you're going to say. The, <laughs> I'm not going to say. Big, the big gains, you know, for next year are, are supposed to be from uh, the U.S. Your it looks like uh, Europe. Maybe you know, maybe maybe some North Sea gains and Brazil, uh, Canada too, and Brazil. Okay, so, right. Brazil's yep. supposed to come up with a big, you know, a big increase. Yes. Uh, All right. I I think you got to put a you know as usual, you know, put a question mark on on uh, you know. Hopefully they come through. Yeah, and and Trinidad and Tobago. The Trinidad and Tobago, yeah, yeah. Guiana, uh, you know, Guiana, 
Well, Guyana probably will. You know, Guyana. we'll have a nice, we'll have a nice increase. Right. Right. And then on the demand side, obviously, you know, the, how cold the winter is going to be for next year, and you know what, what what's going to happen with the, you know, what, will there be a recession? Will it be a deep recession? Will it be a shallow recession? Is there going to be no recession? Um, you know, and that could. You know that could obviously switch things over. So next next year looks, you know, look, looks real. It looks another interesting year coming up. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you hear you hear recession a lot in the news, reading it on the on the financial news stations, and you know when you watch something like the Atlanta Fed's nowcast, it keeps going up. I think it's up to like two point seven percent for that's for the current for the um, that would be the third third quarter gdp so I, I i just i i hear it but and then you look at the the jolts numbers there's a heck of a lot more jobs open you know looking for work people uh businesses looking for workers and so it's you know i know people are saying that the interest rates are gonna tamper and, and all these economic uh uh projections have come down for the world i think uh Oxford went from what uh, I forget uh, from two seven to two 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 something like that. Big it was a big reduction down uh, revision downwards, and um, but I don't know it's kind of two and a half percent growth. I mean Atlanta's not always right, but but they you know they they don't have any. It's not like it's somebody's bias in there. These are these are purely off the numbers, but um, I don't know. We'll that recession thing. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, these earnings are coming in and a lot of the chat has been, you know what? Business is, is okay. It's pretty it's not good. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. At least in pretty the US. Good. Yeah. In the US, yeah. yeah. Europe Europe is a is a whole different story. And uh, and I'm sure the develop you know, next next year could be very brutal in the in the uh, developing world. And China too is still, you know, they're still pursuing the the zero COVID, which which puts a cloud over where their demand is going to be you know i think it should grow next year it looks like this year chinese demand is going to not grow which is you know extraordinary shocking um and next year you know i think i have it growing but you know who knows so, um, <laughs> I'm not, yeah I'm not sure, yeah right? well you i remember going into covid 2020 you were doing uh spin moves and trying to count barrels and but yeah, you right. that was... but we had a couple of podcasts back there where the big three opec eia the eia came out with demand numbers and and you just said you use something stronger than nonsense i forget what it was yeah you've i done, think i did but you, right. you've done a good job with the uh demands you know I, I think you were less optimistic than the rest of the uh crew there and um yeah that was good but i've asked you this before and you hate this question, but what what's your uh, desert island indicator for oil markets? Like, if you were, what would you, what would you want to see if you if you're stuck on an island and you you could get one data point? What would it be? <laughs> it doesn't make sense well, in this market, right? Yeah, I, that, that's that. Yeah, that's a that is a tough question. I I think I guess it would be Russian exports. You know, okay. what, are, what are the Russian exports and Russian production? You know, they they go hand in hand. I think those are, you know, that that's probably 
a, you know, the one data point that I, if I had that, you know, that would be a good, you know, that, that would be something, that, you yeah. know, a real, a real key. That would tell you a lot. Yeah, that would tell you a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, so do you want to talk about prices or do you want to? Yeah, I, I do want to talk about price because one thing that I, I think is going to happen uh, as we head closer to the it's probably happening already, but as we head closer to December 5th and into the winter, you know, it's as Russia tries to figure out where, where these, you know, barrels are going to go or, you know, what to do. And the price cap is even is either imposed or not imposed. The sanctions are, you know, the sanctions will happen. That that's a given. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of dislocation. Right. Um, and you know, generally dislocation is bullish for markets. You know, at least at least for the curve. Bullish you know, for VTOL too. Yeah. Right. For all those. and and they're looking. You know, the, the they're all looking for storage. So, right. Which is pretty interesting. Uh, in that. Right. So, you know, I, I, I don't, it, it's hard to see a path towards much lower prices, you know, unless the winter is, is unbelievably mild. So I, I think the lower end of these, um, you know, I think WTI's low is 76, but even, you know, 80 or, or you know, just below 80, I, I think ought to hold. And mm -hmm. on, the, on, on the upside, you know, I, I think for WTI anyway, could the market get back to ninety? Yeah, I think it could. It it could pretty easily get back to to ninety, given given what we talked about on the on the bullish end of the ledger. You know, possibly a possibly a little higher if things get really tied up in knots. And so that that's kind of what I, you know, what I'm what you're working with. What what I'm working with? Yeah. But you don't, so you don't. You're not seeing something crazy like $150. Not crazy. That's attainable. We've we've almost been there. But um, 150 in the winter time. You don't see that. Unless it's well, it, could it get to 150? Yeah, I guess if it's really cold, you know, like a brutal, brutal winter, and we we lose. You know, here's another here's another key thing to watch. You know, if there's another oil you know something something happens where there's a disruption in a place that you don't expect right uh, for instance you know what's really what the market what you don't hear a lot but libya has was so important to trading this year you know because we lost like th there was a loss of 600,000 700,000 barrels a day Right, uh, and that was really important for the market, particularly because that's light, sweet crude that goes right into Europe. Right, uh, and Libyan production came back, and you know that was a major bearish factor. You know, and it was one of you know one of the factors that took the market well, not the factor, but um, you know. So let's say let's say Libya, you know, goes down, or Nigeria, you know, something like that, where a major supplier goes down. Yep. Um, you know, yeah. You know, you could see you could see the market. There's there's no cushion. That's it. Yeah, there's no cushion. Yeah. And you know, the SPR is being drained. Uh there's not a lot of spare capacity. Yeah, there's no cushion. That's a great that's that's exactly right, Jim. Yeah, there's no, no margin cushion. for error. Yeah. You know, so unless we go unless these prices that 
you know, if we do spike, you know, then the recession, you know, and then the recession is really, you know, right. much harder. Yep. So uh, volatility will remain in this marketplace. Looks that way. Yeah. Okay, Andy, any, anything else that we, uh, I'm sure we missed a lot, but we, <laughs> we definitely yeah. missed a lot because there's a lot going on. Um, but I think we covered a lot of, you know, we covered a lot of ground. And if you have more questions, as Jim said, you can find us at commodityresearchgroup.com and you can find me at uh, either on LinkedIn or uh, my email is alebow at commodityresearchgroup.com. That's L-E-B-O-W. Great. Thanks, Andy. Catch you next month. All right. Thanks, Jim.